Hey, good morning, folks. Good to see you this morning. We've uh, been studying Romans chapter 10, and as you heard last week from Todd's teaching, uh, there are some amazing uh, obligations that devolve upon us as followers of Christ who have the gospel. And uh, blessed are the feet of those who proclaim good news, Romans 10. Well, we thought uh, what we need an amen is to bring a real live missionary in to speak to us today. And we're just thrilled to have with us uh, Mitchell Moore, who served on our staff, pastoral staff, for five years or so. And then two years ago, uh, followed the Lord's prompting and leading to Indonesia, where he has been serving there for the past two years. Uh, Mitchell has been a wonderful missionary. I, I often will get back reports from Indonesia about how wonderful Mitchell is, and of course, we all know that. Uh, it was a sacrifice for us to let him and Lisa and their kids uh, leave us. But uh, he pastors 10,000 students uh, and doesn't have much help with that and is seeking to build a student leadership structure for a university where there's an opportunity to reach these thousands of students. He's mobilizing people for the mission field. He's, doing, uh, he's helping to plant churches in Indonesia. Uh, he's got, uh, just like he did when he was here, those of you who know him well, he's up to his eyeballs in Christian ministry. But we're so glad that for our missions conference week, uh, Mitchell has agreed to come and be our speaker this weekend. And uh, those of you who have heard him in the past today, man, you know that we're honored and privileged to have him here today to speak. Mitchell, we welcome you all the way from Indonesia. He just got in last night, so if he takes a dose halfway through his lecture, you'll understand. Rudy, you know what it's like to come in from Jakarta and try to function the next day. So, Mitchell, uh, we just hope you stay awake next hour. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. It is an honor and a joy to be back this morning uh, here at Amen. And, uh, you know, Sandy's representation of history, that uh, it was difficult to depart from here. When you work for Sandy for five years and he just says, get as far away from here as possible. Uh, Jakarta, Indonesia happens to be uh, as far away from here as possible. <laughs> so uh, just kidding. I'm honored to be back. And we're going to be looking at Romans 10 this morning, uh, uh, building on what Todd spoke about. Uh, last week, you had a great message. Um, but the reason is, is that uh, Romans, this passage in Romans is just a classic missionary text. And I am grateful to have the opportunity uh, to expound it with you this morning further than you had last week. Um, and very grateful, Sandy, for the opportunity. Um, you know, working for Sandy for as long as I did on this team and this church. I really uh, was probably the greatest gift the Lord's ever given me. Um, as I look out, so many of you all. I just want to stop and say hello and say your name and come down and give you a hug. Uh, it's great to be back. It's a real honor and privilege. Uh, so much of my life um, since we've moved has been just answering the simple question, you know, W-W-S-L-W-D. What would Sanders Lamont Wilson do? Uh, his, his ministry was so formative on my life. Uh, I find myself everything from... Uh, working and leading student ministry to all my administrative roles to different um, church planning stuff that we're doing. Just really asking, WWSLWD, what would Sanders Lamont Wilson do? Uh, so your impact has been huge on me. I'm grateful. I do draw the line somewhere. Um, the only place you can get snow blindness in the summertime in Memphis is when you drive by Sandy's house and he's working in the yard. Uh, he's we he wears those sh short tennis shorts from eighth grade, maybe just to save money. And just the, the sunlight off his legs is, wow. Is, what do you, oh, okay. that, that's where I draw the line. Every other area, I really do ask, uh, WWSLWD. Um, it's good to be back in Memphis. Uh, I did, I got in late last night and Big A Thompson picked me up from the airport. He said, how was your flight? It was awful. Uh, it was hot and sneezy. Uh, worst flight I've ever had across the Pacific Ocean. The air didn't work in the uh, plane, and the man next to me would not quit sneezing. And I, I, all I could think about was everything I've read on global epidemics uh, recently. So if I do fall over, it's not from jet lag, it's from some unknown plague. Um, so I, I did shower, and my day started off well, though. Somebody brought me some Gibson donuts last night. And so uh, when I woke up very early, I uh, followed the Holy Spirit's lead to gorge myself on some, some of Memphis's finest. So it's good to be back here. It's good to be with you. 
Um, as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to look at uh, chapter 9, verse 30, and we're going to go through chapter 10, verse 18. And it really does capture a transition that's happened in, in missions for uh, the past few centuries. Um, the Lord, obviously, has been working on, on mission uh, since before the creation of the world. His word is clear that uh, he has chosen uh, those who belong to him in Christ before the creation of the world. Uh, and his mission will continue. His goal will continue after this world has been redeemed and refined and, and becomes the new heavens and the new earth. Um, but as far as church missions goes, uh, we're very familiar with men like William Carey, uh, who uh, in the late 1700s saw continents and wanted to take the gospel to different continents. And then uh, the next really season of Memphis, uh, missions in our history uh, comes from men like Hudson Taylor. And they moved from taking the gospel to continents to taking the gospel uh, to the interior of continents, to different countries. And you know Hudson Taylor uh, from his work uh, in China. Um, and then most recently from, from the mid-1930s to present, so almost 100 years, the church has really been focusing on people groups. Uh, who are these people groups? The country where I live, in fact, uh, I can tell you how many people groups are unreached. 131 different people groups in uh, the country of Indonesia unreached. Uh, that means that they um, don't have a Bible in their language. They don't have a, a Christian presence larger than 1% of their population. Uh, they have very, uh, pretty much a, no way uh, to hear the gospel. Of those 131 groups, 36 of them are untargeted. What's that, what that means is that, uh, I know you're asking, you're under the pressure, there'd be no math involved this morning, so I apologize. I'll try to keep it simple. But what that means is that uh, there hasn't been a targeted strategy to reach these people. Uh, hundreds and thousands and millions of people uh, in my country are unreached and untargeted, actually. And uh, my, the country where I live is the fourth largest country in the world, population-wise, uh, the largest Muslim country in the world. Um, so as we, <clears throat> excuse me, as we look at this passage this morning, I, I see this as the first of, a, of the series uh, that I get to be here, as, as uh, Sandy mentioned. I'll be speaking Sunday morning and, and Sunday evening as well. Uh, and so this, I see, is the first of three talks. And obviously, I'll be doing different speaking times uh, to different groups throughout the weekend. But these will be the three sections. And I want to look at m missions in the light of a covenant relationship. We hear a lot about missions um, in terms of a biblical theological category, uh, looking at all the scripture that talks about God's mission beginning at Genesis 3.15, working its way uh, through Revelation 22. And that's right. And we even hear about missions as a theological category, uh, understanding it uh, in what they call missiology. Uh, but I believe when we understand missions in uh, the way the Lord presents it, it's a covenant category, that actually the revelation of God's word fits into uh, this covenant relationship that we have with him as his people. The theological category uh, of missiology fits into this larger understanding of who God is uh, and who he's called us to be. And I believe that this passage lays a great foundation for us for understanding uh, missions as covenant identity. Uh, Paul roots his words in the Old Testament. He's not teaching in this section anything new. Uh, this section, obviously, 9 through 11, is, is a difficult section to understand, grasp, and apply. But the specific verses we'll look at this morning uh, from 9.30 to 10.17, uh, these are passages that um, are, should be more familiar than not. So you have your notes in front of you um, that are there. There are a few corrections, and I want to apologize. I f uh, finished them up on the plane and emailed them um, in, a, in a layover that I had in Tokyo and, and a couple of things I, I should have corrected before I sent. But we're going to take this one bite at a time. We're going to look at first at verses uh, 9, 30 through 10, 7. So uh, let's read in your ESV Bibles together. What shall we say then? Uh, the Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it. It's a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching uh, that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. 
For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, uh, that the person who does the commands shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith uh, says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. Uh, we'll stop there for this first section. And, and what we see uh, immediately is that the covenant relationship is by faith alone. As Paul talks about Gentiles, non-Israelites that have come into the covenant relationship. Uh, he, he's addressing, obviously in this section, the Israelites um, who have rejected, uh, the Jews that have rejected um, Jesus as the Messiah and the righteousness that comes uh, through his work. Uh, but the covenant relationship that God sets up with people is by faith alone. What is a covenant relationship? Well, a covenant relationship is God's solution to the separation uh, that he has with his people. He had a covenant of works with Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and uh, God showed his favor, his mercy, and his blessing. He created Adam and Eve, and he put them in the garden and gave them all the freedom and opportunity to be blessed and to be a blessing that they could have. Uh, they chose to, to break the covenant stipulation by violating the one thing that God told them not to do. You're free to do whatever you want. He gave them the best command in the whole world, be fruitful and multiply. I mean, come on, isn't that our favorite command? I, I don't like math, but I love be fruitful and multiply, or at least love trying, you know? And so Adam and Eve had that, uh, and they were uh, decided that they wanted to be their own God, and they disobeyed God. They broke God's covenant relationship, and the consequence of that covenant relationship was the sin uh, that had them removed from God's presence. Uh, they violated God's covenant. And a covenant relationship is a relationship that God sets up with us, his people. And the uh, covenant of grace comes at his initiative and through his, position, uh, his uh, provision, uh, ultimately seen through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But it's a relationship that's guaranteed by his word. And the series of covenants that we see throughout Scripture that begin with Adam and go to, obviously, Noah, and then Abraham, which is one we'll be rooted in today, and we'll refer to Moses in the Davidic covenant, and then the new covenant in Christ. These covenants are what unite Scripture and, and really give us uh, a context for the revelation that God's given us. And the way that we enter into covenant is not by our works, because we've covenant relationship with God, is not by our works, as we saw in Romans 3, because our greatest work is a filthy rag. But we enter into covenant relationship with God by faith, because of his work, because of his guarantee. And it's by faith alone. And that covenant relationship is secure. There's nothing we can do to get God to be more faithful. And there's nothing we can do to get God to be unfaithful. All the promises of God are made yes in Christ, and his covenant is secure in Christ. And so we are, A, those in relationship, or in relationship by faith. And those who are out of relationship are those who continue to try to relate to God by law. Now, the law of God is a gift of God. It's beautiful. It's more valuable than gold. It's, it's, it's more desirable than all the riches of the earth. It's sweeter than honey. This is the language of Scripture describing God's law. It's a perfect pattern of righteousness, says John Calvin. But the law is also a mirror that shows us and exposes us, uh, our sins and our shortcomings, and the effort that we have to try to be in covenant relationship with God based on our moral performance is utter failure. And so those who are out of covenant relationships are those who continue to try to relate to the Lord by law, trying to perform. And this is why uh, Paul says that Christ is a stumbling block. Uh, this is, he, he's quoting, obviously, uh, Isaiah 28, 16. Uh, your notes there uh, say Psalm 18, uh, 22. It should say Psalm 188, 22. Uh, but in 1 Peter 2, uh, the Apostle Peter does the same thing, and Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. Christ is a stumbling block. He is foolishness uh, to a people who pride themselves in moral performance. 
the, the fact that we can relate to God based on his work uh, through Jesus Christ, the life and death and resurrection of his son, uh, is foolishness to those who think we have some sort of moral integrity, those who pride themselves in moral performance, those who impress the world with our own righteousness, our own Sunday school activity, our own amen participation, uh, our own boards and committees and uh, systems that we're a part of. Um, we, it is a stumbling block. It doesn't make sense to us. It actually trips us up in understanding uh, who the Lord is. And as Todd mentioned last week, the result here and what uh, Paul says is that we must turn from our good works. Uh, when we see that our covenant relationship is by faith alone, we have to repent of not only our sin, but also the good things that we do to try to earn God's favor. And this is totally counter, uh, honestly, to a warm culture, uh, a warm climate culture like Memphis or Indonesia, where I come from. Because uh, we are just all nice people. We're just good folks. And we're good, we're, we put people in categories. Well, he's a good guy. Uh, you need to get to know him. Uh, but the Bible speaks a different word. Right? We're, none of us are good, right? There's no such thing as a good Christian. We use that term all the time. Well, he's a good Christian guy. Well, not biblically. That's not a biblical category. It's a cultural category. Uh, all of us are sinners, and our greatest work is a filthy rag. And so we have to turn from our good works that we think earn uh, favor in God's eyes, and we must turn to righteousness in faith. Uh, we must turn to righteousness in faith. Uh, and this takes us back to the Abrahamic covenant. Paul's already dealt with this in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, uh, that in the uh, Abrahamic covenant, uh, we have a righteousness that's been imputed to us. It's been reckoned to us. It's been given to us. Actually, that word imputed or reckoned to us is used 11 times in those 11 verses. It goes back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, we see that faith is uh, what brings us into covenant relationship, even uh, in the Old Testament when uh, the people of God go into the promised land in Joshua 2. Uh, they go in for conquest. They go in for judgment. Well, what's the first thing that happens is that Rahab uh, puts her faith in the people and the promises of God, and a Gentile is brought into the covenant community. Uh, from the beginning, faith has been what brought people into the community. Faith is what makes us in a covenant relationship with the Lord. Uh, you'll see a very long uh, quote that I have in your handout from uh, David Brainerd. I wanted to use this quote because David Brainerd was a missionary. <gasps> yeah. And uh, that's why I'm here this weekend. And I think this is a very applicable quote. It comes from uh, his diary. Uh, he was an 18th century missionary to Native Americans. And he is not one of the most famous missionaries, but uh, many missionaries that you have heard of were inspired by him, became missionaries uh, because of him. William Carey and Jim Elliott would be at the top of the list. Uh, and and um, what you need to know about David Brainerd, and I'm not going to read this whole thing. I'm just going to read the part that's in a box. Uh, but David Brainerd uh, was a very spiritual man. Uh, he spent a lot of time reading his Bible, a lot of time praying, a lot of time fasting. Uh, he said that he uh, was very good on the outside in his religious duties, uh, that he harbored a secret hope of recommending himself to God by his own performance and his own morality. He says at the end of that first paragraph, I healed myself with my own duties. Uh, and, but what he began to find in his life, if you read his diary, is that he had this tension. Uh, he had this tension between uh, trying very hard to follow the moral law of God and to please God uh, with his own performance. Uh, but the tension was between his own performance and the impossibility of actually uh, following God's law. Uh, and so with this tension in mind, the, 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 the tension between very hard and the impossible, I'd like to read uh, this section to you and ask you to follow along. David Brainerd writes in his diary, uh, Then I realized why they were no avail. When I had been fasting and praying, uh, obeying, I thought I was aiming at the glory of God. But I was doing it all for my own glory, to feel that I was worthy. As long as I was doing all this to earn my salvation, I was doing nothing for God, but all for me. I realized that my struggle to become worthy was an exercise in self-worship. I was actually trying to avoid God as Savior and to be my own Savior. I, example, I was not worshiping Him, but I was using Him. Then, at that time, the true way of salvation opened my mind. I saw so much of its wisdom and suitableness and excellence that I wondered how I was ever blind to it. I wondered why everyone did not see this way. 
uh, of salvation, not by my own, contra, contra, it's, I'm way too jet lagged for this word, controversies, not by my own actions, but entirely by the righteousness of Christ. I felt myself in a new world and everything about me appeared with a different aspect before, from before. You see, uh, David Brainerd, before he was ready for mission, had to move from his moralism by which he felt like he obligated God uh, where he was actually uh, living under the guise of the glory of God, but was living for his own glory and his own self-worship. And he had to move into what is a biblical context for covenant relationship. And then as, that is our relationship with God is by faith and faith alone. And if we want to talk about global renewal, if we want to talk about Memphis renewal, uh, then according to Martin Luther, we've got to get this right, man. Uh, we have to look at what Martin Luther says. In order for a pure and lasting spiritual renewal to take place within the church, I would add, uh, within your families. I would add, within the city of Memphis. I would add, on your university campus. I would add, in the nation of, of America. I would add, in the nation of Indonesia. In order for a pure and lasting work of spiritual renewal to take place within the church, multitudes within it must be led to build their lives on this foundation. It means that we must, uh, it means that they must be conducted into uh, the light, full conscious awareness of God's holiness, the depth of their sin and the sufficiency, uh, sorry, and the sufficiency must be Conducting the, light of the, depth of, in the depth of this sin and the sufficiency of the atoning work of Christ for their acceptance with God, not just at the outset of their Christian lives, but in every succeeding day. We must repent and always be repenting. Um, if we want to have a lasting work of renewal, men, then we must be men who turn to the Lord in faith. You know, there's nothing, I've never seen or heard of anything like amen uh, anywhere in the world that 400 men get together to study God's word every Thursday morning. It's powerful. And it is going to be one of Sandy's most uh, standing legacies, uh, that he has prioritized the exposition, the teaching of God's word, and, and cultivated a hunger for God's word. Uh, but also what's going to be one of his big legacies is his heart for mission, uh, to reach not only this city, uh, but this world. And if we're going to have a lasting movement of renewal, men, we, we, we don't boast that we come to amen, but we boast in the righteousness that comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ, the righteous standing that we have in a restored covenant relationship uh, with him. You'll see the words of the Heidelberg Catechism there, but I want to move uh, to verses 8 through 13, and we're going to see that the, the covenant relationship is by faith, but the covenant reality is from the heart, right? So there is this internal renewal that happens in covenant relationship with the Lord, beginning at verse 8 and going to verse 13. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth uh, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, Paul is rooting this teaching in Old Testament narrative, and it's really in the understanding of a covenant context, not at the expense of it, but in, a, in an assumption of it. And we see uh, here that the first thing we see is that uh, the heart believes in faith. The heart believes in faith. It is with your heart that you believe. Uh, God doesn't look at your external conformity. He doesn't care how impressed uh, your father is with you or your friends are with you or your mentees are with you. Oh, he's so holy. He's so righteous. God looks at your heart. And this is consistent with how God has related to his people. The, the words that Paul takes from here come from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And in Deuteronomy 30, uh, God gives uh, the conditions of the covenant. that if we, uh, It's unconditional in regards to merit. That means that uh, Israel is his, are his chosen people. There's nothing that they can do about that. But it's conditional in regards of instrumentality. That means when you read sections like Deuteronomy 30 or Leviticus 26, what you find are what we call covenant stipulations. 
that if you want to experience the blessing of God, then you walk in the ways of God. If you want to experience the curses of God, then you walk counter to God. And in fact, God says, if you walk counter to me, I will walk counter to you. He's very serious, no holds barred. There's consequences to our actions, and life is found in his ways. Uh, and we experience his bless, blessing when we walk in his ways, not uh, to earn his favor. And we need to understand biblical blessing. That's a whole other conversation. But the idea we need to get right now is that God looks at the heart. And in Deuteronomy 10, uh, this is what he says. We, we don't need external circumcision uh, only for the, as the covenant sign in the Old Testament. But we need a circumcision of what? Of the heart. That God looks at the heart, that we keep things from the heart, and it's by the heart uh, that we believe. Uh, Proverbs 4 says the heart is the wellspring uh, of life. And, and we can look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 15, really 18 and 19. It just says 18 in your notes, but it needs to say 18 and 19. Uh, from the heart really directs our ways. Uh, what, what, it, what is it that you struggle with? Uh, what, are the, what are the sins that you struggle with, whether it's from your mouth or, or from your actions when no one's around or from the way you uh, work your books uh, at work or the, way, or the things that you say behind people's back or the faults that you have in your mind? The Bible says that these things actually come from your heart. Uh, that our heart, uh, says the prophet Jeremiah, is deceitful above all things. So in Matthew 15, 18 through 19, we see that the heart not only directs a man's life, uh, but in Luke 6, 45, we see it's the substance of our speech. Uh, and you see this in James 3, verse 11. Uh, that it, is, it is when he talks about the tongue, it comes from the heart. And the heart is the spring, and the spring can't give forth uh, fresh water and salt water. Uh, this is consistent with uh, the teaching in Scripture. Uh, you go to that B there, that the heart is what justifies all who believe. This is what the passage just said in Romans. It's by the heart uh, that you have faith, you believe, and are justified. In Ezekiel 36, this is what the prophet says, that you have a heart of stone, and you must have a heart of flesh, that the Lord will put a new spirit in you. Uh, and, and when Paul talks about uh, the covenant relationship that we can only have by faith, or when Scripture talks about it, it's not just a, a relationship that we say, I believe, but it truly is a heart transformation. And friends, men, let me tell you, when your heart is changed, everything changes. Everything changes. And we saw that not, not only uh, in David Brainerd's journal, but we see this in life all around us. When I was in seminary, I have a quote here from a guy named Dan Iverson, who's a missionary in Japan. I'll never forget how he started his uh, talk when he spoke at my seminary. He said, he just stood up there and he said, men, if you're not willing to go, you're not fit to stay. If you're not willing to go, you're not fit to stay. And in those words, he was giving us a diagnostic, saying, are you entering into pastoral ministry and I would turn to you, are you a man of God for your own benefit, making your own decisions with your own agenda, wanting with your own goals? Because if you're not willing to go, then you're not fit to stay. And folks, when our heart is truly changed and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we don't keep an area of our life where we say, well, you're not Lord of this, right? I mean, I really need to be here or do this and have this resource for this. No, when we say Jesus is Lord, it's every single aspect of our life. And unless our hearts truly been changed by the gospel, unless we have this covenant relationship with the Lord from the heart, then we will not be able to say, Lord, yes to everything. Everything. And so what Dan Iverson challenged me with, if you're not willing to go, you're not fit to stay. I, I hold out to you as a diagnostic for your own life. Are you willing to go? I don't know. I'm not, you're welcome to come to Indonesia, but I mean, let's just talk about Memphis, right? Are you willing to go into the rougher neighborhoods? Are you willing to go into the areas where the refugees live to work with some amazing ministry partners that we have in the city? from Advanced Memphis to the Alcee Ball Development Corporation to Sukasa Family Ministries to World Relief that works for the refugees. I could go on and on and on. Are you willing to go? This is what diagnoses our hearts and friends. Let me tell you, when the Lord grabs your heart, things change. Because if you want to step out in ministry, you better have a secure identity. If you're in this for yourself, if you want to be a man who steps out in mission and you don't have a secure identity in Christ, then it won't be sustainable because when things get difficult, you're going to throw a flag. You're out. You're going to call a timeout. You're done. You've got to have a security in Christ. 
Uh, I, I've messed up so many times being in Indonesia for a few years. Um, uh, language is uh, not my strong suit, I'll tell you that. I've learned that I am uh, proficient in the English language, both as a first and a second language. Uh, learn, <laughs> learning, uh, learning Indonesian has been, been difficult, and uh, if you're not willing to fail, then you're never going to succeed when it comes to language. I'll never forget, uh, I was tr trying to learn how to say, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I say something, and I'm like, saya bercanda, <laughs> you know, and I was trying to get people to laugh. But one time I was speaking in front of a lot of people, and I said uh, a joke, and then I said, saya bercinta, and everyone just started dying laughing. And I looked at the guy next to me, I said, I think I said the wrong thing. He said, yeah, you just told him you're making love. <laughs> so... Saya Berchinta is not the same thing as Saya Berchanda. And, and the, the reality of, of mission is that you step out in a place of vulnerability. And if you don't have the security in Christ uh, that comes from this covenant relationship uh, that is by his work and not your own, then you're never going to do the service that's required. But when you have that heart change, when you have your eyes as men taken off the focus of the areas of your life that you're trying to guard from Jesus being Lord, that you're not willing to say yes, you confess with your mouth, uh, believe in your heart uh, that Jesus is Lord, um, then, then everything changes. Uh, you don't know what God's going to do, gentlemen. So many of you feel like you're disqualified, disqualified from your past, disqualified from mistakes you made, disqualified from your lack of knowledge, disqualified from your experience, disqualified from your pedigree. All we think about are disqualifications, and we don't think in a divine way. Gentlemen, God wants to use the smallest things in your life. God just wants you to be available because it's God's work and not your own. I think about... Um, one of, my, uh, one of my favorite stories that's happened since I've been uh, in Indonesia is that uh, I work at a Christian university. And like uh, Sandy said, we've got 10,000 students. We actually have 12,000 if you include our scholarship student. We have three different campuses around the country. And my role is spiritual formation for the faculty, staff, and students uh, for all of those different campuses. And we are planning churches. And we just, we've started two churches in the past year. It's like, what? Crazy. God's really working. It's a lot of fun to be a part of. Uh, but one, one story that I really love is came from uh, when we did our first, we called it Easter on the Road training. And we decided that in Indonesia, uh, our, our university students really needed to be trained in what it meant to share the gospel. And so I developed all this material, and we had some training. It was a pretty uh, high bar training. We had several different sessions and several different trainings. And what we did was that we found uh, 40 different places uh, around our university where they could go and share the gospel. These were orphanages. These were children's prisons. These were schools. Uh, these were hospitals, children's hospitals. Uh, and Easter is a time in Indonesia where you can talk about your faith all you want. Uh, it's the uh, largest Muslim country in the world, but it prides itself on plurality. And so there's five official religions. And as long as you're just sharing your own faith, that's totally fine. You're not allowed to convert people. That's where you're going to get in trouble. Uh, but we wanted to train people in this. And so this is a crazy story. Uh, we had over 600 students come to this very high-level training. Uh, and we're doing it again here uh, next month. And we're expecting over 900 students because last time was so successful. When I started the training, I asked them, I said, how many of you have led somebody to Jesus, uh, to personal faith in Christ? One person raised their hand. I said, how many of you guys have shared your faith before with others? One person, same person, kept his hand up. Um, and so uh, we go through this training, and they do all this stuff. Well, the story goes on after uh, graduation. One of the students that went through this training went to the second most Muslim part of the country. Uh, there's different regions of Indonesia have different percentages, and the area I live is 99.7% Muslim. Uh, this place in Makassar, uh, where this graduate went, uh, is a higher percentage than that. It's 99.9%. The highest place in our country of Muslim population would obviously be northern uh, Sumatra and Aceh. It's 100%. Uh, they actually have Sharia law there. Uh, anyway, so our graduate goes there, and uh, she puts on her wall uh, a picture. Uh, and it just says, In Christ Alone. It's from a Getty song, actually, uh, In Christ Alone. And she has a, a, a worker uh, comes into her office and um, the, the guy is a cleaner, and he says, what, what does this sign mean? And the story goes that she was very busy. Uh, she didn't have time to talk, but she obviously knew that this was divine prompting. So she put down what she was doing, uh, and she began to explain things to him, and she began to draw upon some of the training stuff that we had done. Uh, and she, the man just looked at her, and he said, how come no one's told me this before? And in that moment, uh, after 30 minutes, 
she put her faith, he, put her, he put his faith in Christ. And he says, will you come to my village Saturday and share this with my family? And she says, absolutely. So her and a few of her Christian friends that are graduates go uh, to this uh, Kampung, this neighborhood where he lived. And it turns out his brother and one of his sons came to know Christ, and now they have a ministry uh, in that neighborhood. Um, friends, all we did was put together some really simple evangelism training that really anybody in this room could probably put together. Uh, and, and God does the rest. You don't know what God wants to do through you. Do not disqualify yourself. Mission is God's work. But until you have a secure identity in Christ where you know that your heart rests in his, no matter what, where it's okay for you to fail because you know that in Christ you succeed, where it's okay for you to be vulnerable because you know in Christ you have security, until you have that covenant security, you're never going to be able to share the gospel with your coworkers or your family members. You're never going to be able to lovingly intercede uh, into a family member's life who needs to, to hear the truth or to in a neighbor's life. You're too scared of what they think of you. You don't want to disrupt the, uh, the social system in the city. And I'm, I'm really proud of so many of you that uh, brought unchurched uh, guests to hear Ravi Zacharias a few months ago, last month. Uh, but that, let that just be a beginning, friends. If we're going to have a, a sustainable renewal uh, in this city, or in the churches of this world, then it's going to come from men whose identity rests secure uh, in the work of Christ, who knows that their heart is new, um, and then through that, uh, the Lord will work. But we, we need to go on and look at probably uh, the most famous mission passage in all of Romans. I know that the, this is going to come from uh, ch chapter 10, verses 14 through 18. I'm trying to remember um, the whole title of this series is what? Is huh? The whole time of the series of Romans y'all are going through, what's it called? Our message to the world. That's right. And so this whole context of Romans is, is mission. And this is the mission of mission passages uh, for the world through you. And so we want to look at this real quick. Uh, Paul moves into from this addressing the heart uh, uh, that we must have a, a new heart in Christ is a, is a sign uh, that is the covenant reality. Um, he talks about here the response is for the nations. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word, through the word of Christ. Uh, the covenant response is for the nations. And again, Paul uses language that's rooted in Old Covenant, Old Testament. He, he goes from Joel uh, to 32 and up to the future. Uh, and, and he asks these questions, right? Who will hear if no one speaks? It's just common knowledge, isn't it? How are people going to hear the gospel if no one shares it with them? Paul's already talked in Romans 1, 18 through 20, that creation speaks and general revelation makes it so that all men are without excuse. But for some crazy reason, God says that special revelation is going to come through you. <laughs> I don't know what God's doing. And as recent as this morning, I was questioning his wisdom. Why do you choose men to send your message of special revelation? Isn't there something more reliable and this is, it's a basic question. How is the world going to hear if we don't speak? How is the world going to believe if they don't hear the gospel message? Whose heart will be changed if no one goes? Whose heart is going to be changed if no one goes? He uses uh, language from... Nahum and Isaiah 52. Um, beautiful are the feet saved from judgment. Now, Nahum uh, is a prophet that actually speaks to Assyria. Uh, and Nahum uh, prophesied in the 7th century BC. That's a hundred years after Jonah uh, spoke. Um, 
and went to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. And you remember Jonah. Uh, Jonah was sent by God. He was a prophet, and he went to preach to Nineveh, and the whole city repented. Uh, and a hundred years later, uh, the city that had experienced gospel renewal through the message of Jonah uh, was living in totally contrary to the Lord. And, and Jonah's, Nahum's message uh, is this. You see, all in Nahum 1, verse 1 through 3, but I want to look specifically at the verses printed here uh, from Nahum chapter 1, beginning at verse 6 and 7 and then 15. Who can stand before his indignation? That's the wrath of God. Who can endure, endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. And so, what Paul uses uh, is a summary statement for our call to take from the nations. On the, on the one hand, we see that it comes from Nahum, Nahum chapter 1, a prophet who's speaking to a people who have responded by faith uh, to God's message. Uh, and he says, how beautiful are the feet who bring the good news, who publish peace. And that is good news to be saved from God's wrath. God's anger is kindled against sin, and his wrath will fall down on sin. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 1 that the Lord is our tower. The Lord is the place where we find safety from God's wrath. And while Nineveh, on the one hand, uh, really paints a picture of the church that continues to, to need to be reformed, the Reformation, Reformation mantra, you know, sempa reformatia, that we must re be reformed and always reforming. We must always go back to God's word. We must repent and always be repenting, always looking to God's standard and God's word. Nineveh embodies a people who have forgotten that. Um, and, and so on the one hand, we see that Paul is talking about the good news from Nahum is that we are saved from God's wrath, God's wrath against sin, because that is the prophecy Nahum is sending to Assyria, particularly Nineveh. But the second place is that we're saved for reformation, uh, re restoration. Beautiful feet saved from judgment. Beautiful feet saved for restoration. We see this in Isaiah 52. Awake, awake, and put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings his good news of your happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah is speaking to a people who have experienced exile. In fact, they are in exile. And they are God's covenant people who have experienced the covenant discipline of the Lord. Uh, and the words here, uh, how beautiful are the feet who bring good news, are calling God's people uh, to listen to the gospel message, the good news uh, message of God's salvation uh, for restoration and renewal. And so understanding the Old Testament background to this covenant mission, the covenant response is mission, helps us to see what Paul means. That on the one hand, uh, we're saved from judgment. And on the other hand, we're saved for restoration. And we're, we're the only people who know this. Where do justice and restoration meet? On the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ took our judgment for us. Jesus Christ became a curse for us. The Deuteronomy 30 context could not be more important. That the curses of the covenant are upon those who disobey the covenant. And those who try to stay in covenant relationship with God by your own performance, those will be the people who experience the curse of God. But Galatians 3 tells us that Jesus Christ became a curse for us. He took the judgment of God. And in that place where he died in our place, where he paid the penalty of our sins, where on the cross he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. In that very place, we have the hope of restoration. And this passage is rooted in God's covenant mission and covenant purposes. And it's for us today. How will the world know where we can be saved from the judgment and the wrath of God? And friends, it is coming. The judgment and wrath of God is coming. And those who do, are not hiding in the Lord as their strong tower, who do not have their faith in Christ, will experience eternal judgment and eternal wrath. That's in the Bible. <laughs> it's there. He's coming. 
And but those who are in Christ, who have their faith in Christ, who understand that their justification is by faith alone, God is just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ Jesus. And we can find not only eternal restoration in his covenant promises where people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be singing praises to the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth, but we can experience that restoration now. And Paul is asking a question. How will people who don't know that hear about it if we don't share it? And we don't share it because we're not secure enough in Christ. We're men who find our security and our identity in places outside of his covenant relationship. And by God's covenant relationship, the security that we have in him, by faith and faith alone, because of his work, we have new hearts that give us a boldness to step out of our insecurities because of the security we have in him. That people might hear, that the gospel message might go forward. And on your tables, you have uh, some information about part of our foundation works with Papua. Uh, Papua has over 800,000 people. It's an island in Indonesia, uh, different tribes. They're still discovering some of these tribes. And there are missionaries that you, you meet these folks. that They fly two hours by these prop planes into the jungle, and they go to places that have never seen people from the outside world. Uh, in, in this place called Doboko, uh, there's um, a, a family that's been there for 18 years now called the Crockett's. They're from Ohio, and I went out to see their work. And men, seriously, this is a part of the jungle that you see in National Geographic. Like, these are the places where the dudes are wearing the gourds, like, and that's it. All right? <laughs> My wife and I actually went to see what God was doing in this part. She put a picture of me and some gourd fellas on our Instagram account, and it was a little bit embarrassing. And you can imagine the questions I had to answer when my mom saw the Instagram account. Just like, oh, my goodness. And I told her, you know, I just went to the dentist, and that was who we were waiting in line with. Just kidding. <laughs> That's everyone's image of Indonesia. It's far more modern than that, uh, obviously. But there are places that have never had contact with the outside where they really believe uh, that evil spirits possess everything, and they're held in bondage uh, by these animistic worldviews. <laughs> they've never heard the gospel. And I go and I meet these, this family, the Crockett's. They've been there for 18 years. They spent four years just learning the language, four years trying to give an alphabet to their language. And they've got a 15-year plan to transcribe the Bible into this language uh, for these people. And they have over 200 people that have come to Christ. And, and I look at these, <laughs> these people like Crockett's and tons of other missionaries that have given their life, but the opportunity that is still there, not just in Papua, where there are tribes that have never heard the gospel, never will hear the gospel unless people go. But I look at my own neighborhood, where I am, where there are three unreached people groups within 13 kilometers of my house. And these people groups consist of over 60,000 people each. And how will people go if we don't, if we don't send people? How are they going to hear if we don't talk? And you say, well, Indonesia sure is far away. Yeah. I can't go to Indonesia. Okay, we'll support someone who's there, right? Support students who are graduating from my university who are being sent out as missionaries. But dad, gum it. Figure out a way that you can participate in it. Because one day we're going to be accountable, right? For all of our resources, for all of our relationships, for all of our time, for all of our talents. And you, we're gonna, we, we don't have an excuse because you heard a jet lag plague infested man talking to you. I don't know what plague I have, but I got something from that flight, I'm sure. <laughs> Putting before you God's covenant response. If you know him by faith and you've got a new heart, then this is the call. Friends in Memphis, we want a sustainable renewal in this church. And the church is here in this part of the world and the world where I live in. And it's on us. How are we going to respond? Is Jesus really Lord of everything? So I will build on that more um, as the weekend goes on. But beautiful feet is good news for the nations. And the scope of God's covenant blessings through Christ, the scope of the work of the cross, the good news uh, where the only place where judgment and restoration meet, um, the scope is the whole world. That includes the unreached people in my country, it includes your family members. It includes your friends from high school. It includes your work colleagues. It includes the neighborhoods you drive by every day. It includes every part of this creation. And I pray that you uh, would join me in seeking to respond faithfully to the Lord's faithfulness. 
I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, and I really want to thank Sandy for sharing. Uh, It's not really an amen pulpit, but I guess the amen table that you spread all your notes out on. Um, I really am grateful uh, for the ministry of Sandy and the impact he's had on my life. I work closely uh, with uh, a guy named Dr. Rick Canada, um, who's the Chancellor Emeritus of uh, Reformed Theological Seminary. And oftentimes, uh, he will introduce me to people as Sandy's boy. Yeah, it's, it's true. Uh, Sandy is, is known around the world as a global leader in the evangelical church. And I'm honored to be able to teach this morning and thank you for the impact that you've had on my life. Uh, and I want to tell you guys, if you want to figure out how to honor uh, his ministry here, uh, the building campaign, it second, is good. Everyone should participate in it. And I see these new cups here. I guess that's fruit of the building campaign. That's uh, good stuff. Uh, but you, I, want, I want to challenge this group. Amen. To think strategically about how you can honor his ministry in this city uh, through furthering the mission of God strategically, sustainably. Uh, That this call, this responsibility um, for God's covenant people will be furthered. Because the truth is, how will they know unless we're sent, unless we support, unless we go? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, your covenant faithfulness. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity to confess to you where we've been unfaithful. Lord, uh, forgive me for words today that have strayed from your words. Forgive me for motivations that have not been glorifying to you. Lord, forgive us all for being men who have um, minimized your faithfulness to us, that we've sought security in things of this world rather than in the work of Christ. Lord, Thank you that we can find grace and mercy to you, that we can repent and always be repenting, that we can be reformed but always be reforming. Lord, I pray that we would be men who not only understand the covenant relationship, but we will also understand uh, the covenant context of our heart and the covenant response, the gospel for the nations. And I pray that you would uh, fill us with your spirit and empower us for your work and that we give us wisdom in how we can steward everything you've given us that we truly might live with you as our Lord. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of Sandy uh, through Amen, uh, through this church and in this city, and we pray that you would bless him. Um, And we thank you for his life and ministry and encourage him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.